From the great state of Ohio, my name is Morgan Shaw, and today is Sunday, June 17th, and this is the Next Gen Ohio Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Next Gen Ohio Podcast. I want to thank everyone for tuning in this week. We're going to have a very short intro because this interview is kind of lengthy. We have Casimir Schwiegel on the podcast today. Casimir is running for the Ohio 16th District uh, up in northern Ohio. He's our most northern person we've spoken to so far, so he can give a different kind of perspective for the state. So we're able to talk about some of the different things going on with the Ohio House of Representatives and the elections of our new speaker, which took 11 rounds. And we'll go into discussions about that and some of the scandals that happened with Ohio Republicans and why that one-party rule is so detrimental to uh, state government and the health of our overall state. And we'll also get into some of the things that you'd expect from somebody who's on the, the Lake Erie coast, so that we discuss the health of our Great Lakes and what we can do uh, to ensure their long-term success. So I think it's a great interview. You're going to really like this uh, this candidate. Casimir is a great guy, and I look uh, look forward to go, having you listen to it. So uh, thank, thank you again so much for tuning in, and without further ado, Casimir Spiegel. And on this week's episode of the Next Gen Ohio podcast, we have Casimir Striegel of just west of Cleveland, Ohio. Casimir, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hey, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you, Morgan. All right. So let's start off with some of the things about uh, your upbringing and your, and your family, kind of where you grew up in Ohio, and how that kind of got you to where you went to college at Cleveland State, and then to present day. Let's just start off with your kind of family, and then... Uh, was your family involved in any kind of political act- activism, or did you were you kind of the one that brought that uh, on your life? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a, a fun upbringing, I suppose. Uh, I was technically born in Erie, PA. I only spent a day of my life there because my my mom got pregnant with me in high school, and she went to uh, Ashtabula. She was Ashtabula Harbor High, so I grew up for the first six or so years of my life and on the shores of Ashtabula living uh, next door to my grandparents. Um, it was sort of a community effort. Uh, you see it a lot more now when grandparents have to help in raising kids, um, especially with the opioid epidemic. My mother, of course, was. I was lucky in that she, she never had any drug addiction problems, but I did have a, a teen mother. Um, so I spent a lot of time with my grandfather, who was a longshoreman. He worked on the coal docks out in Ashtabula, and it's kind of being raised by my aunts and my, my grandmother. After that, uh, I had another younger brother, two years younger than me. My mom was going to Cleveland State, getting her working to get her teacher's degree, and she met a gentleman who would later be my my stepfather, they got married. Uh, they, We moved to Cleveland. I went to Our Lady of Mount Carmel for a couple of years, lived on 45th and Franklin. Um, then we, uh, she got her teacher's license. She got out of the service industry and started teaching at Collinwood High School. And after that, we jumped around to North Olmstead for a little while. Uh, had at that point, I had four or uh, three siblings, 
a stepbrother and two half-brothers. And then we moved to Berea when I was in fifth grade. And that's where I spent my, my high school years. Graduated from Berea in 2009. And during that period, my mom and former stepdad were in the process of getting a divorce. Uh, so I felt compelled to stay nearby and went to Cleveland State, got my political science degree, kind of worked throughout uh, so we could, so I could afford to live as well as go to, go to school. Graduated, did a, and throughout I've done a lot of traveling. So that's kind of everything up to before I decided to, to run. Mm-hmm. So you chose political science as a degree in college, and there's a lot of people who say that that is a degree for somebody who wants to go into a law field or they want to be uh, just some kind of bureaucrat in in Washington or otherwise, or it's just it's a good starting point before you go to law school. Uh, what was the reasoning behind your choice of being uh, a political science major? What was was there a specific election? or a specific moment in time where you said, I'm interested in this field and this is what I'm going to go into. And was there any like primal, primal reason behind that? Or was it just, you've always had an interest in it? Yeah, I think uh, there is. My, my mother was always very politically active. Um, big in the, I, I remember as a kid going to strikes downtown uh, at federal buildings and whatnot. And that was always, uh, I guess that would have been a little more, formative on me than maybe I, I would have liked to realize uh, later on. But I, guess I, I was in JSA. I was my class vice president and uh, the junior statesman of America. What is JSA? The, oh, junior statesman of America. It, yeah. Yeah. It's a, a group. It's a national group that takes high schoolers across the nation and they, they sort of do mock uh, policy stuff, you know, pretend to pass mock bills i remember the big one when i my junior year i was i was the senator from my my school and i was able to successful successfully pass a universal health care bill and it was uh totally funded by the fast food industry so <laughs> unfortunately my house counterpart couldn't do do her part or we we would have uh been the first successful team to pass a universal health care bill here in ohio <laughs> that's fun uh like the ambition and uh so you graduated college you mentioned on some of your biography points on your website that that experience and having to work and put on the college debt uh are led you to be more engaged and more conscious of the effect that the burden burdensome levels of college debt that students nowadays receive uh, can have on their futures and moving forward, especially with a limited job market for those actual students. Uh, is that something that you think that can be fixed uh, simply by having uh, more pe- more young people in office that are conscious of the of the problems, or you think you think that we need to actually go about and fix uh, more parts of the education system than simply that? Oh yeah, I think it's going to be a two pronged approach, and I mean you made two excellent points there. We do need younger people to be involved in uh, politics. The the average age of a representative is what in the fifties or somewhat. Uh, we need representatives that represent 
uh, their actual constituents that uh, that it doesn't look like a Florida retirement home. But secondly, is that <laughs> Rob, Rob Richardson made a good point on this uh, as he's he's pushing to be Ohio's treasurer, and he wants to open up student refinancing so that we could negotiate the loans that we were uh, given when we were promised the all these great jobs at the end of a four year degree. It's it, we get we get the blame a lot of the time of us as and I believe. I'm a millennial. I, I don't know if you're Gen Z or millennial or whatever labels they put on us these days. But <laughs> it, it's they they go out. I just and, make it into the Gen Z category. Oh yeah, there you go. I think my mom is technically a millennial, which is weird. But it's uh, <laughs> they they tell us to go get your degree. It doesn't matter in what, and that no matter what, you're going to have this job guaranteed for you after you finish your four year degree. And what made me socially conscious of this student debt crisis is that that's not true when you're constantly applying for jobs especially here in ohio which is lagged behind the nation in job growth not to mention i i graduated in the recovery period that we lag behind and the tech jobs uh tech students all fled because there's nothing here the investment from the state when they took all the money back from the local government fund and brought it into the state to sort of create this rainy day fund has been detrimental to the localities because they are going to be the ones who know how to spend that money within their communities, know which industries to invest in, not the state government, which most of the, the 99 representatives we have, you could say that they haven't been to 95% of the state. So they're not going to know how to spend that kind of money and where to invest in. And that it, it's really all connected. The student debt, the lack of infrastructure in all our localities. It's a systematic problem throughout the state. And a lot of the people that are running are running on just these one issues and saying that, that it's not all connected. It's an ecosystem here in Ohio. And that if you disrupt one thing, the, the dominoes start to fall in other areas. Absolutely. So you're you're in your late you're in you're, you're in your late twenties right now. Twenty six. And mid twenties. Okay, mid twenties, mid twenties. <laughs> I don't wanna don't wanna push anything. Uh, I I read a, that uh, I saw online that you had receive the endorsement of Run for Something. And Run for Something is an organization that was founded by one of Hillary Clinton's top communications directors following the 2016 campaign. I, I've read her book uh, about why she founded it and then the kind of reasons for saying that we need a lot more younger candidates, we need candidates that actually can represent the diversity that is America, and that we need to have people just run for something. It doesn't matter what, if it's a local state legislative race or a school board seat. Uh, can you kind of talk about, because I've never had a chance to talk to anybody who's gone through that process. Can you describe how the kind of training that they've offered you and what the endorsement uh, receiving that was like? Yeah, they're uh, they're an interesting organization, um, a very vigorous process, especially when I, when I first started out with. So you would first put out an application. Uh, you'd get an email back. Uh, I'm sure they received you know, thousands or whatnot. And they filter that through. If you 
fall under all the qualifications. I think it's uh, under 35 years old, down ballot race. So, you know, the city councils, Ohio House, Senate across the country and other down ballot races. And then they set up a, a another interview where you do a, a 30 minute with one of their uh, sort of agents that interviews and sees where your beliefs lie. If you are a progressive and if you sort of fit into the category of their their beliefs and you sort of espouse those as well, then they'll go ahead and push through the recommendation for an endorsement. And then uh, you wait another few weeks and then you receive a an email saying, we've endorsed you, we'll wait two days or so. And then you can send out this press release saying that we've endorsed you and you can use our logo. We've created a custom logo for you. So it was, it, I mean, it's an interesting process, uh, but all, all these endorsement processes, I'm sure when you run here in a couple of years, you'll figure it out. It's all quite a bit tedious. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you, but uh, I got to learn from uh, those who've already gone through it. And one of the things they talked about in that book is that they would provide, or at least in the book that Amanda Littman, who founded the, yeah. the group, wrote, is that she was going. There would be support and training and that kind of thing. What what did, what was that like, or did you receive any of that? Uh, my the most the bulk of my training came from the Ohio House Dem Caucus. They uh they do a little mm -hmm. candidate weekend thing. Um, Run for something has tools available. Uh. I know it's a it's a network where you can access all their press release files, um, sort of the things that candidates will need that you might not think of, and there's a a platform for it. They'll do the occasional uh, phone-ins and online training seminars, but at the same time, I think it's a California-based group, so it's sure. when they when they do events. Um, I know they're doing something down in Columbus in a couple weeks or so from what I've heard. And they were trying to get some candidates in Ohio to discuss the process. And I, I mean, I offered my services, but you know, I live two hours away. So they, they wanted to have people who were a little more close by. It's, I guess you you really have to actively engage with them in order to, to get something back. And for for my resources, it's it's good to have them. You know, they'll if I tweet at them or Instagram or something, they'll they'll share it. But for me, it's in running, especially in a local race, you have to focus in on your your local resources. And that's going to be people like the Ohio House Dem Caucus and my local network of of people and uh, small donors and just kind of doing it yourself because you really can't ask or expect any of these other outside organizations to do anything for you because as a lot of my, my other colleagues that I've chatted with are running for in the state, you will be, you will be disappointed. That's a good attitude to have. Uh, we can't rely on these outside hovering groups to kind of come in and be able to win states like Ohio. It kind of takes on the ground work for that. Yeah. I think I was, and, uh, oh, sorry. I was listening to one of your earlier episodes no. and you made the point that, uh, you can't have somebody coming from an outside organization and expect them to win in Ohio. 
when you bring in these representatives from the East Coast or West Coast and say, oh, come down here, organize an effort and get Ohioans to believe in our message. That's not going to resonate here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I feel strongly about that, that even though that for a progressive base and for somebody who's really active in liberal politics, to bring in somebody like uh, Elizabeth Warren or, or even to a point, Barack Obama, to a, a specific point that uh, bringing in these kinds of people doesn't allow you to work with that kind of Midwestern voter that does see themselves as being separated from those th those two coasts and uh, bringing in a Kamala Harris or different things might have its benefits in some some ways, but I think it can cause a lot of harm as well for your, your image. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah. So I wanted to ask you now, or let's, let's talk a little bit more about your district in particular, because you're running for the Ohio State Representatives in District 16, and that's on part of your district is on the Lake Erie coast. Oh, yeah. and can you kind of go through what part uh, or what part of the state you represent? You're probably, I think you're the most Northern candidate or person I've talked to in the state so far yeah. and kind of just describe some of the problems that your district's facing. Oh yeah, absolutely. I am privileged to represent, uh, in my opinion, I know it may be biased, but it is the best district. I love all five of my cities. <laughs> Rocky River is where I live personally. I went to elementary school in North Olmstead, which is uh, another one, Fairview Park, and then Bay Village and Westlake. Uh, Rocky River, Bay Village, uh, and I think uh, those are the only two that are actually on the lake. But they're, they're just, there's so much passion with, uh, with protecting the environment. Uh, I know just Friday, I went out with the Bay Village Green team to help plant uh this these hibiscus and other plants with the cleveland metro parks in partnership to stop runoff from going into porter creek and then onto lake erie and to instead uh absorb down into the groundwater to help prevent some of this uh phosphoritic uh runoff that we have here in lake erie which has been absolutely terrible out in the west and we we don't want to see that here it's Growing up on the shores of Lake Erie, Ashtabula uh, Harbor is is where I uh, originally am from, and I remember going down to Walnut Beach, Edgewater Park, and enjoying the lakes when it was still protected, and we had people who were really passionate about keeping them clean, and to have the amount of dead seagulls and uh, dead fish washing up was is is just disgusting. It's gotten a lot better now over the last uh, couple of years because these organizations like Bay Village Green Team have stepped up and uh, sponsored beaches. I know Edgewater Park and the Cleveland Metro Parks, as soon as they took it over, it became this great uh, festivity. We have Thursday Edgewater Live that uh, live bands come in, food trucks, and it's a great experience. And when we don't protect our lake and our best resource, especially up here in the north, then we're we're making a detrimental mistake. And I can say that the representative we have now, uh, Dave Greenspan, one of his first bills that he sponsored was to strip away renewable energy requirements for corporations. And for me, that that was really something that compelled me to say, I can't allow this guy to run unopposed. I'm going to go out and get the signatures and make sure I run against him, even though I don't have any sort of experience in running. 
Well, that's awesome because for me, for the, the couple of reasons why I'm a Democrat are the top two, really, if I had to say, are that we have a moral crisis on two issues in that uh, we have the Republican Party does not believe in the science of climate change and does not accept the simple facts that our generations down the line and in the future are going to be uh, absolutely dealt an incredible burden by our, the fact that we have ignored the problems associated with dumping pollutants and fossil fuels into our air and our water and from going on from that point. So, uh, I, and that, and then uh, gun control, which we'll discuss in a minute, but I wanted to just want to commend you on that, on that point for being, for being that being the motivating factor for you entering this race. So, uh, if I'd love to, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the lake and because I'm not as familiar with some of the problems that are, are great lakes and some of the protections that they need to be having, uh, some of the problems I've read about them a little bit, but can you kind of go through how we've gotten better or worse in the last couple of years with protecting that resource? Yeah, it's, I, I mean, since the seventies, yeah, we've gotten better. Uh, but it, it's gotten worse, especially on the Western basin because of the agricultural runoff where far, so farmers are using their, uh, whatever manure they do has, a phosphate runoff that goes into the rivers out there, like the Maumee out there in Toledo. And that's what's been so detrimental to the Western Basin. And it, it really doesn't make sense because the islands, which are uh, about 40 minutes from me, Sandusky and Cedar Point and Putin Bay and all the islands, it's a billion dollar plus tourist industry that people are want to take out their boats and enjoy a clean lake. So when we have... Uh, this phosphate bleach runoff heading in there, it creates these massive algae blooms, which are uh, poisonous to the the natural environment in the lake. And that, there's that on top of the invasive species, the Asian carp coming in, um, as well as other plants that may, in, in other areas in the watershed have felt they've been able to drain the lakes and sort of bleach and kill off all these invasive species. We don't have that luxury in, uh, I guess it's not really a luxury, in Lake Erie to drain the lake and kill off the invasive species. Because if we continue on the trends we're on right now, we're not going to have walleye anymore. And I think that is going to really resonate with some of the uh, even Republican voters in the, the Ashtabula counties, the Lake counties, and other sort of Trump counties, where once you start taking away their, their walleye fries, they're, they're, uh, they're not going to vote Republican anymore. <laughs> ah, well, hit him where it hurts. Uh, hit him with, hit him with the walleye. All right. Let's go back and uh, talk about your opponent, the incumbent, Mr. Dave Greenspan. Uh, you actually have one of the better races that of anybody I've interviewed so far in that, uh, it's not as large of a gap in what you have to make up. So in 2016, uh, the, the Democratic candidate, Tommy Green, lost by only 13% in comparison to Mr. Greenspan. So uh, Democrat Democratic candidate at this point can already say that they have 43% of the vote. And this being a blue wave election year, how do you think you cover up that remaining 7% to get back to uh, unseating this Republican representative and flipping the seat? What do you think your strategy is? Do you think it's to go 
after more progressive voters, or do you think you have to swing some of those Trump voters back to the party? Yeah, it's it's funny you, you mentioned that Tommy Green and Dave Greenspan was actually the that was the closest race of the cycle um, in regards to the loss, mm-hmm. and he he had an incredible job on a, a big ground game, the top fundraiser of the cycle in the House races, uh, but this district did actually go. It went to Hillary Clinton by one percent, and we because we have a one of the we're the what, the wealthiest. Uh, suburbs here on the in Cuyahoga County it's a very highly educated area and they have a lot of women voters who in 2016 voted for Dave Greenspan because he was on county council and he was the only Democrat or the only Republican on a uh, nine-seat county council with eight other Democrats and he ran on bipartisan he worked with the Democrats to pass bills well, in reality, he had to because he didn't have any other Republicans <laughs> to work with. And now that he's been down in Columbus, he has been pushing for bills, uh, like I mentioned earlier, on the stripping away renewable energy requirements. He co-sponsored with Emily Hagan about the arming paramedics, ER nurses, and people in hospitals. Since he's been down in Columbus, he's just nodded his head to far-right Republican bills. And that has been something that even a lot of the moderate women here in the district have come to me on the campaign trail and said, you know what, we voted for Dave two years ago, but since he's been down in Columbus, he's done nothing but push sort of, you know, uh, no, no party bills that don't really accomplish much, or he's just nodded his head along with a far right agenda that's happened down in Columbus. and. Dave also had a fundraiser up here in January with the now resigned speaker Cliff Rosenberger. So the their cozy relationship, along with the fact that he did get money from Bill Legger in 2016, and this this culture of corruption that's he's now only been down there for a year and a half, and it's it's already come bubbling up with him. These are a lot of the problems that the voters in my district can now point to and say, these aren't what you promised when you said you were going to be bipartisan. You're just going along with this right-wing extremism, which has been detrimental not only at the national level, but more importantly at the local and state level. For those who aren't as caught up on this, we've got a couple of points with the FBI investigation into Cliff Rosenberger, who's the former Ohio House uh, speaker. You've got uh, the you've got the different apartments in Columbus that he and other representatives helped to uh, rent out for for cheap from different lobbyists, and we got some of the trips and things that Mr. Rosenberger was taking. And we just had a election for a new new speaker of the House. Uh, it took eleven rounds to not reach a majority. Uh, to get Ryan Smith, who's a Republican, uh, to be the speaker. Uh, and for those who don't know the process, it, t- it took 11 rounds because you had to have to have a majority in the first 11, and they did not receive one, so they just went with a plurality afterwards. And Republicans have a supermajority in the Ohio House of Representatives, meaning they can pass whatever they want 99% of the time, but apparently they can't agree on who should be their leader. Uh it is unlikely that we're actually going to be able to flip 
the house in this in this race, no matter how good of a blue wave we have, just simply because of the map and the way it's drawn and the districts that we're playing with. Uh, what kind of you're probably gonna have you're gonna have a new election for a new speaker, and if you're, you're one of the next representatives, can you what, what kind of speaker are you looking for? Is it most likely going to be a Republican? Is it going to be some moderate that'll actually work with both sides? Or what's what's your plan on that kind of point? Yeah, I mean, you brought up a great summary. Uh, it was quite quite an event. I I think I was live tweeting. I even ordered some pizza to watch that three hour event, and it was definitely not <laughs> worth it. Uh, Forty four votes the entire time that Representative <laughs> Ryan received, uh, and and Minority Leader, who I was hoping would pull out the upset, Mr. Fred Strayhorn, uh, received 28 through all all 11 until the plurality constitutional amendment came into place. So it it is, uh, it's interesting because there's a lot of open seats that were, that uh, householder-backed Republicans won. So in the 11 races that householder ran a candidate against a Smith candidate, he won 10 out of 11. So this speaker race right now looks like Smith has 44 votes, but come next year on January 1st, he, he could lose another 10, possibly 11, as uh, if you noted that Dave Greenspan did vote for Representative Smith all 11 times. So if, and then I come in, that could be another 11 loss. And that opens up to... Smith and Householder being either at a closer race and perhaps a plurality of Democrats can back uh, Representative uh, Strayhorn, then it, it could be a totally, totally different situation than what we just had here. It's another 11 rounds for them to figure out that uh, a Democrat is going to take power. Um, <laughs> there's that. That's something I've been playing around with for a little a little while after that happened because the politics behind it is just so disgraceful that they can have 65 Republicans and not be able to find a consensus on who the person that pushes legislation should be. And it's only a temporary one. It's only the one until September when re-elections, mm -hmm. when they go on another break and elections happen again. So it goes to show that when absolute power is unchecked over the last 10 years, as it has been in Ohio, that corruption is, is bred out of that. We, we had it here even with the Democrats and Demora in party politics in Cuyahoga County. So even, it doesn't matter which party it is. If you leave them with absolute power, a lot of corrupt people are going to take advantage of that. And that's... One of my one of my biggest points is I I'm not afraid to call out corrupt Democrats or corrupt Republicans. This is an institution that should serve the people of Ohio, not serve personal interests and try and push forward your your political agenda and your political ambitions. Yeah, I'm I'm snapping along in agreement with everything you're saying. Uh, we can't we can't make ex exceptions for our own people when we think that just because that they might pass this part of a healthcare act that we'd like, or they'd press uh, this climate change bill or this gun control bill. If they're, they're corrupt, they're, they're corrupt. And that doesn't mean that we make exceptions for our own side. We don't want, we criticize Republicans every day for making exceptions for Donald Trump's corruption and for, uh, for his constant scandals, but we have to be able to will, be able to be willing to do the same thing 
on our side as well when it happens. Uh, so that's a good thing. And I made a promise in a previous podcast when I discussed and made a kind of like a highlight reel of the past few months' efforts on gun reform. There's been a lot of good bills that have come out of that. I think uh, Cameron Caskey, one of the Parkland kids, pointed out that 44 different state house uh, state houses have passed some kind of gun reform bills since the Parkland shooting, and that's progress. They're not they're not not anything like we we've we've been wanting, but there's something with school safety or otherwise. So we're getting some traction on it, and I want to get a your opinions on the issue, and b whether or not this should be a litmus test for the Democratic Party, whether or not you support this. Oh, it's, uh, it's quite interesting. I know I was uh, listening to your last week's podcast uh, about the gentleman who is uh, the, the youngest uh, council member here in Ohio, and I know he's an avid mm-hmm. hunter or whatnot. For me, I, I didn't grow up in that uh, gun culture, but I can say that two weeks ago I went out with my, my brother-in-law and shooting out on a range he's a diehard nra member and uh we have a lot of things that that we disagree on and the biggest point i try and make to him is that we're not trying to take away responsible gun owners who properly store their firearms who are properly trained on how to use them we just want to make sure that they don't end up in the wrong hands and especially because we've divested from investing in mental health at the middle school and high school level, that we reinvest in public programs and make sure that we're not only worried about uh, kids' physical health, which here in Ohio, we really don't worry about that anyway, but also their mental health, because you can't take away a school counselor and put them at five different schools a week and then expect that the kid who is mentally unstable on Monday is going to wait until Friday until they can talk to their, their guidance counselor. We need to make a strong investment into uh, public mental, into public health overall at every level. Um, I mean, we've seen it with the opioid crisis, but we're going to stay on firearms. I'm going to try and do my best. I believe <laughs> in the, in a national registry, get rid of the gun hole, uh, uh, gun show, loophole uh see make sure that you have an adequate amount of training a three-day wait period is reasonable and that we have a ban on bump stocks um i i I brought up emily hagan's bill earlier about arming paramedics er nurses that's not the way that we should operate more guns doesn't equal more safety for we'd be the safest country on earth. It doesn't make sense that if we give everybody who has a mental illness or any sort of uh, anger issue a firearm that we can't expect a good guy with a gun to show up at the right time all the time. And this, this argument is just nonsensical and a lot of common sense people need to show up to the ballot box and say, hey, what you've been doing is not okay. Stop taking all this money from big gun manufacturers and the National Rifle Association and start representing common sense safety. And that's really all we want to do. I don't want to take away my brother-in-law's right to 
go out to a range and shoot. I want to protect his one-year-old son from having to be in a prison and not an elementary school. Yes, 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 and yes. Uh, all of those points. If you could speak to the young people of Ohio, future candidates, future people like yourself that are in their, their mid-20s who are looking to, to run in this, in this age of democratic activism and uh, those who have been inspired by both the March for Our Lives and the Women's March and all these other movements, what would you say to them about being involved, running for office, and how to be successful in those points? Yeah, my, my biggest piece of advice that I could offer is just don't be afraid to take your shot. I know too often uh, we're in a society that expects perfection, and there's no such thing as the perfect candidate. There are things growing up that I wish I could have done differently, uh, choices that I, I wish I could have made differently. But when it comes down to it, people care about the kind of integrity you have and where you stand on protecting and pushing your beliefs on, of that integrity. So go out there. As former President Obama said, grab the clipboard and get your signatures, because that's essentially what I did. I saw in November that there could be something here and there might be change on the horizon. I went to the Board of Elections website on Cuyahoga County, printed out the signature sheet to run for state rep, and I started going to the Dem Club, getting my two minutes up there and saying, hey, the system here in Ohio, it's broken, and we deserve better than what we have because the worst thing that's going to happen is I don't win this election. And if that's the worst thing that happens to me in my entire life, then I could say I've had a pretty good life. So just go out there and take a shot. Even if you think it's a risk, life is full of risks. So you, you got to show a little integrity and get out there and be willing to fight. All right, Casimir, thank you so much for being on the podcast this week. I wish you the absolute best of luck in your election and go win this in November. Morgan, we need thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Well, thanks again for Casimir for being on the podcast this week. Uh, we wish him absolutely the best in his campaign. And thank you so much, as always, for everybody for tuning in. And I'll talk to you next week.